Let us pray. Father, as we have heard your word and we think about it, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you would have us to hear, and that you would give us a heart that receives it and responds as you would have us to respond, so that we may do as you would have us to do. We ask your blessing in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. In the beginning of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus disembarks from a boat in Capernaum. And he's greeted by a group of people carrying a paralytic man. Jesus is struck by the faith of the people who are coming uh, before him. And so he looks at the paralytic man and says, Your sins are forgiven. Now, this statement causes quite a stir. It's rather unexpected. It is not what the group of people bringing the paralytic man to Jesus were after. They didn't look at the paralytic man and say, this man is a great sinner. Let us take him to Jesus so his sins will be forgiven. They looked at the paralytic man and said, this man's body is broken. Let us take him to Jesus in hopes that Jesus can heal his body. But Jesus looks at the man and says, that is a need, but I see a greater need. And because of your faith, I'm going to meet the great need, the forgiveness of the man's sin. But there are others there who are there, who probably those who did not bring the man to Jesus, but were sort of the hangers-on around Jesus. The scribes who are rather upset by Jesus' proclamation of forgiveness of sins, because they find it blasphemous. Who is this man to forgive sins? Only God can do so. And Jesus, of course, Matthew is showing us that Jesus is God. And Jesus says, I will show you that I have the power to forgive sins. And I will give you a sign. And I will heal the man's body. And so he says, take up your bed and go home. And the man does. And so the story ends with the man going home healed and transformed, both outwardly and inwardly. Though the greater work we are given to understand was the inner transformation through the forgiveness of sins. It is with this idea of forgiveness of sins that we enter the next story, our reading from the gospel today. Immediately after the man goes home, we find Jesus at Matthew's tax office. You're probably all well familiar with the idea of what a tax collector was in Jesus' day. The occupation of tax collector was a much despised occupation in Israel. The tax collector worked for the Romans were the Gentiles. They must interact in their work with many things that the Jews would have found to be unclean. And besides that, it was well known that tax collectors were not scrupulous and honest people. They made a lot of money by their unscrupulous practice through theft. They became wealthy by appropriating the funds of the people around them. They were siphoning off funds from the Jewish people, even though many of them were indeed Jews, like Matthew was. 
In all of this, the term tax collector became synonymous with the word sinner. So if you said tax collector, everyone knew what you were saying. You're talking about an, uh, an evil person, a sinner, an unclean person. And so there was once again some surprise that Jesus came to Matthew, who was a tax collector, and said, follow me. I'm choosing you to be one of my special disciples, one of those who follow me. I'm choosing the tax collector. And Matthew did. Not only did Jesus call Matthew to follow him, but then Matthew invites Jesus to his house. Now, this is not as clear in Matthew's telling. It just says, following this, that Jesus was in the house and there was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Luke makes it more clear in his retelling of the same story. And he says, Matthew threw a great feast for Jesus. And there were invited Matthew's kind, the tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus went and he ate with them. And once again, Jesus is questioned in his actions. Not directly this time. He's questioned through his disciples who are asked by the Pharisees, why would your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why would he associate with those who are unclean, the sinful? Why would he not keep himself pure and holy by disdaining them and keeping them at arm's length? And Jesus knows this and he says, in essence, I've come here to heal. As is evidenced by what has just happened in the beginning of chapter 9, the healing of the paralytic man. But my healing is not just physical. I've come here to heal the whole person. And therefore, Jesus says, I must go to those who are sick. Sick in their souls and bring healing to them. And then he gives the Pharisees a task. He gives them some homework. Go and find out what is meant by the phrase, I desire mercy and not a sacrifice. This is a quote from Hosea chapter 6. And just before Hosea chapter 6 and Hosea chapter 5, the prophet says that Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, is sick. They are sick and they are seeking healing. And in their sickness, they have turned to the king of Assyria to heal them. And Hosea says, you will find no healing in Assyria. Your sickness is your sin. It is your sin that has made you sick. You have become idolatrous. You have accepted the lifestyle and cultural norms of the world around you. You are no longer following the law of God. You have looked at places like Assyria and says, I would like to be like that. I would like to find my health and my goodness there. What makes this sickness more tragic is the fact that God had tasked Israel with being the healer 
to be the healing light to the nations, showing them what true worship is. Not just cultic ritual, but in the properly lived life. To show the world what is good and right. And instead of doing that, Israel has become sick with the sickness they had been called to heal. By accepting the world's way of life instead of living the life that God had called them to live. They had contracted the nation's diseases and had forsaken God and His law. Jesus is saying in Matthew 9 that Israel had failed to fulfill its duty by not reaching out to the sinful world and offering divine mercy that God wanted to offer to the world. And he says, Pharisees, you are continuing that legacy. But this, they are continuing that legacy in a different way. In Israel, they had assimilated themselves to the world. It is probably wrong to think of them as, as having completely neglected the worship of God in the temple. The temple was still there. Sacrifices still happened. But along with all of that, they had looked around at the world and said, but when God said that's wrong, we're going to say it's okay. We're going to still do many of the sacrifices, but we're also going to accept a lot of the other practices of the nations around us and include those in our worship. So you would still hear many of the same talk of God and talk of His work. But you'd also hear many things that God had explicitly says, you shall not do those things. And not doing the things that God says, you shall do those things. And then came the exile, and the people learned their lessons. And you get the rise of the Pharisees, who now are so zealous to keep the law that they have constructed their own safe space and said, we will shut out all those who do not live perfectly by the law. We will shun those who are sinners. We will love ourselves and our perfection. But the end result is the same. They're still not offering the mercy, divine mercy and love of God to sinful people. So the Pharisees considered themselves pure and would not be seen with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, I, I am fulfilling Israel's responsibility. I am doing what I called my people to do, what God called his people to do. I am doing your job. I don't think it's very hard to make the connection to us in what Jesus is saying to Israel and to the Pharisees. We are very tempted to be like the Pharisees. 
Many of us are tempted to be pure by refusing to associate with those who are sick with sin. Refusing to love those whose lives might not be clean. To remain in a safe space, a bubble, carefully keeping out those who do not meet our standards. And this must not be. It is our job to go to a sinful world, to know them, to be with them. Not expect them to be perfectly clean before we will give them a hug, before we will speak with them, to be with them. We must be as Jesus did and go with divine mercy to a world that is sinful. And this is something that all of us need to hear and know because all of us in some way are tempted to be like the Pharisees, to have groups that we shun. Even those who proclaim to be welcoming to all. The people who I hear are like, we welcome all. It does not take long. It does not take long to figure out which groups they do not welcome. And very often the claim to be welcoming to all is less a call to the all and more a way of, of poking people in the eye who are not, they would say, welcoming to their particular group that they want to welcome. And so it is more a way of distinguishing that we're not part of that group. We welcome all. And do you notice, do you note which sinners Jesus is associating with? Often when I hear people talk about needing to associate with sinners, what we talk about is the oppressed, the poor, the downtrodden, those sinners which tug on our heartstrings, the poor man who steals a loaf of bread to feed his family, the young lady who never had any parenting or any had any instruction as a young lady who gets pregnant as a teenager. Or the young man who never had a father who gets involved with drugs and alcohol. Those people, those sinners need us. And we must not keep them at arm's length. We must love them and help them. That is not who Jesus is eating with. He's eating with the oppressor. Jesus is eating with the slum lord who is taking advantage of the poor, making their wealth off the needy. And Jesus says, I'm going to go to them too. They're sinful. I'll eat with them. These are the people that no one, no one, wants to be with. That everyone looks at and says, that's evil. They're rich. And they're sick. And Jesus says, I'll go be with them. Them too. Even them. 
But it is not just the Pharisees that we are tempted to be like in shunning people. We are also tempted to have the sickness of Israel. I cannot tell you how many times this passage is brought up to me. And people will say, well, even Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Let me remind you of that. And the point of reminding me of that has been to try to make the point that Jesus accepted people in their sin. He affirmed them. He did not tell them that they must rid themselves of their sin. And so we too must just accept people as they are in their sin and say, you're okay. We're all just struggling in this together. You go be yourself. You be you. And we'll love you. We accept your sin. We accept you as a sinful person. We accept your sin. And this is what Jesus is doing by eating with tax collectors and sinners. This is not what Jesus is doing with tax, by eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's not just being nice and telling them their sin is okay. Matter of fact, he is explicitly saying their sin is not okay. And he's saying they must change. Saying that the sin of the world around them is okay is what Israel did. And it led to their exile. And Jesus does not do this. He goes to the unclean, sinful tax collector at his work and says, you leave that, you leave that, and you follow me. I'm not, he says, I'm not going to just let you be you, be yourself. No, don't be you. You be me. Let me help you become me. Let me bring you into myself. Let me give you my identity. You follow me. He goes to eat with the tax collectors and sinners, not to affirm their lifestyle. In fact, what does he call them? He calls them sick, and he calls them sinners. But he says he came to call not the righteous, but the sinners. Which is by way of, of saying he came to call us all, because we all are sinners. But to call them what? Or call them to what? What kind of calling is he giving us? Once again, Luke's version of this story is helpful. Because to the end of the, I came to call not the righteous but the sinners, Luke appends the, word, the words to repentance. I came to call them to repentance, to repent of their sin and receive health and forgiveness and life. I did not come to tell them that they were okay. I did not come to tell them that it was fine if they continue in their sin. I came and eat with them and I call them and say, you leave that behind. 
that will hurt you, that will kill you. You come follow me. And so he seeks the transformation, the, trans, the inner transformation of our souls that is pictured in the beginning of Matthew 9 in the outer transformation of the body of the paralytic man. And this is the job he has given us, to love sinners and to call them to repentance, not to affirm them in sin, to love them, to go to them and say, there is health, this is not health, but there is health and healing available to you. Now, Jesus could do this perfectly. He had no sin in himself. We are still to do this as sinners. One of the things that is often told to me when I say that we are to call people to repentance, well, we're sinners too, and this is true. But what is often meant is this, some sort of imperial sinfulness, if you will. Because I am a sinner, I can say nothing about anyone else. And this is not what God calls us to do. God calls us to call to repentance sin where we find it, including in ourselves. To say, it is wrong in me. It is wrong in me. And I am working hard to overcome that. But it is also wrong elsewhere. And so we come alongside people as sinners, graciously saying, I'm broken. Yes, I'm broken. And so are you. And I would like to do what I can to bring you health as I am finding health in Christ. This puts the impetus on us to begin with ourselves and try hard to come to Christ and say, Christ, heal me. And may I be able to do the same for others. But we are not allowed then to say, well, if I'm sinful, I'm going to step back from it all and say that sin's okay. Jesus told the Pharisees, I'm doing your job. I'm eating with the sinful and lovingly calling them to repentance. That was the job of Israel. It's the job of the church too. And we begin with ourselves, but we still call sin, sin wherever we find it, lovingly. And we seek healing from it and for it and for the world. And not just the sins we like or the sins that we prefer to call sins. God, you show me where I am sinful. You bring healing. Do whatever it, whatever it takes in me to heal me. Do whatever it takes in my loved ones to heal them. Do whatever it takes in my coworkers to heal them. And if you can use me in their healing, please so do it. And so we will be like Christ. And we will do the work that he has called us to do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.